0: On the favor of the Lord. What I want you to understand as we begin, God loves us because he's love, period. He cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. His love is not dependent on what you try to do for him or what you offer to do for him. He just loves you. And the reason God loves you is God is love. God just doesn't love. God is love. That's His character. That's His nature. It's never, He's never going to change. That's who He is. So it's not based on what you do. It's not based on what you don't do. It's not based on performance. Either way, good, bad, it's or being neutral. It's not based on that. God loves you. I want you to understand that. But favor is a different story. Favor from the Lord can come upon people that act in certain ways, I know where it came from, it came from a Wednesday night teaching when we talked about fasting at the end of the fast. That when, uh, we, do, when we do acts of physical acts, you can, and I, and I want to be careful how I put this, phrase it. You don't earn things from the Lord because, you know, the Lord's not a debtor to anybody, but you can respond to the Lord. I guess that's a better way of saying it. You can respond to the Lord in ways in your life that you can bring his favor into his life. That's what I want to say. So what is the favor of the Lord, and how can we have his favor? Anybody interested in favor from God? He already loves you, but you can have his favor. The definition of favor is this, it's demonstrated delight or regard shown toward another, especially by a superior. Like if somebody, your boss or somebody really likes you and you have their favor, uh, you get some perks with it, right? Some of you don't get perks, obviously. (laughs) Obviously, some of you don't have your boss's favor then. Okay. Well, we're praying for you that you'll act in a way that you can you know, win favor from your boss. It's possible. All things are possible with the Lord. Maybe we just ought to preach. No, pre- favor of God can best be described as tangible evidence that a person has the approval of the Lord on their life. Now, I didn't say love. You have that already. God's so a love that he gave. But that tangible evidence that you have approval of God on your life. Because when we favor someone, we want to be with him or her, right? When you favor them, you want to be with them. You delight in them. You connect in a way with them that you don't connect with other people. You like being around them. You like hanging with them. You like being around them. God shows His favor to the ones who delight in, connect with, and give honor to Him. It's real simple. God gives favor to those that delight in Him, connect with Him, want to be with Him, and give Him honor. The Scriptures actually teach us God honors those who honor Him. And God is aware of those. Isaiah sixty-six two says... These are the Lord's words. He said, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So those that are humble, not arrogant or hearty or proud. Those that are contrite, those that have a tender spirit that are, you know, realize they need to repent like... You know, uh, mourn, like Jesus said in Matthew. Now, mourn doesn't mean to go around sad all times. It means to have a a spiritual brokenness about your life in areas where you need to be broken in. And then those that tremble at God's Word. God does not want us to be afraid or fearful of Him. When it says tremble or fear of the Lord, it's talking about reverence, awe, and respect. We realize who He is. He's Creator. He's Lord. He's Master. I mean, it says He holds our very breath in in His hands. He, he controls our life, and I don't mean control in a bad way, manipulative, but he, he is the owner, He is the creator, so we need to reverence Him about that. You know, th- that's what's missing in the world, but unfortunately, the fear of the Lord is even mit- missing in the body of Christ today. When you have the fear of the Lord, you keep yourself from sin. That's not really my message today, but that just kind of pops up. When you have fear of the Lord, it will keep you from doing unrighteous things. Uh, you have an offering. Him. Uh, I don't want to go to hell. I don't think anybody in their right mind wants to go to hell the way Jesus described it, eternal separation from God, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. And that used to be my motive when I was first saved that, man, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to do this Christian thing. But as you grow in the Lord and you fall in love with the Lord, not just fear Him, fear hell, but when you fall in love with the Lord... You start living a life that I'm not just doing this to escape hell. I'm doing this because I don't want to offend or hurt him. Don't raise your hand, but have you arrived at that place in your spiritual walk with the Lord that you don't want to do wrong, you don't want to sin because you don't want to offend him, not just out of fear that you don't want to go to hell. I love this verse of Scripture in 2 Chronicles 69. Uh, It's uh, been in my heart for years now. It says, The eyes of the Lord go around looking in all the earth, for people whose heart is perfect towards him. Now don't be alarmed at that word perfect because that's none of us. There's none of us perfect in this room and we're not going to be totally in this life and when we see Jesus as he is we'll be changed thank God in his into his presence into a, a, an image like him. But so the, the, what amazes me the eyes of the Lord the Lord is on a hunt. The Lord is on a search through all the earth, looking at the different nations, the different people groups, men, women, young people. He's looking through all the people groups, looking in all the earth for people whose heart is perfect towards him. Now, what does that mean? To be perfect towards him means that we seek his favor more than we seek the favor of anyone else, including ourselves. We seek his favor. Favor. So what attracts the heart in the favor of God? We're going to look at some biblical examples today and see what attracts God's favor. Number one would be to walk with God intimately like Enoch did. We don't know a lot about Enoch in the Bible. We see in Genesis chapter 5 he walked with God over 300 years. That's pretty good. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. He lived that long. And it simply says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, don't get scared. If you start walking with God, it doesn't mean he's going to snatch out of here. Okay? So I don't know if I want to walk that close. I like my family. Don't get, don't get nervous. That was God's plan for Enoch. doesn't mean it's God's plan for Mary or Jim. We don't have a lot of details of his life other than he walked with the Lord. But in this walking with the Lord, Enoch must have done a lot of listening and fellowship time with the Lord. And he gained an intimacy with God so deep that God longed for Enoch's presence so much that it says he took him home to be with him. He just took him out. Enoch's one of those. Elijah and Enoch, they're the two that they, they resurrected out of this, this world without having to go through the root of death. All the rest of us, unless God chooses to rapture you, you know, in that way, you're, you're going to face... Death. Now, let's don't go there this morning because we don't want you to leave depressed, dispra- depressed this morning. So God took Enoch home to heaven rather than leaving him to die that natural death. We have the opportunity. Here's the point about Enoch's life. Here's, here's a lesson from it. You and I have the opportunity to have fellowship with God who loves us, who gave his son, Jesus, Yeshua, so that we could have life. And then did not leave us alone when he left, when Jesus left and ascended, but sent, gave the Holy Spirit who offers us that sweet fellowship, unbroken fellowship, continuous fellowship with the Lord. I thank God for that. This is no, so, okay, Jesus, you know, you left here and we're believing you by faith, you know. No, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus' presence and the Father's presence real. I don't know about you, but I felt, I feel his presence here this morning. I feel His presence. I long for His presence. I look for His presence daily. And I know it's not by feeling, but it's good to feel His presence. It's comforting. When I feel His presence, it does make me, us bold. Anybody else? Okay. So we have the opportunity to do that, but the move is up to you. It all depends on, on us because God's done everything for us He can possibly do. He loved us, created us, gave us His Son, Jesus, who died for us, gave His best, gave us all, gave everything, and sends the Holy Spirit to help us and strengthen us and empower us and all just gives us the power of God to live a godly life in this very ungodly world. And all we've got to do is appropriate that. Take it for yourself and live and walk in it. In James chapter 4 verse 8, it says, when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And he tells us, cleanse your hands, you sinners. You know, you may not be a sinner in the sense that you're born again and saved, but there's none of us in this room that does right all the time. So he said, cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. All of us have been that at some time, double-minded, done things we shouldn't have done, thought that definitely thought things we shouldn't have thought. I battle with that every day. But the power of God helps us to bring it under control and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, if you'll draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. I found in my life, if I step away from the Lord or I'm not as close to the Lord as I once was, I found out God's not the one that moved, it's me. But I've also found out the wonderful thing about the Lord is when you take a step to move back to the Lord, boom, he's there. He's right there to meet you. Now, some people say, well, you know, it's not that, not that great for me, Pastor. You know, I've, I've had to struggle and wrestle. You know, a lot of us need to forgive ourselves. Amen. Let me just, let me just, I don't know why I'm saying that. I didn't say it in first service. But let me just touch this a minute. I used to be so bad about beating myself up, condemning myself. You know what I was doing? I was listening to the lies of the devil. I was listening to what the devil said about me rather than what God said about me, and that is a horrible mistake. Somebody needs to hear this this morning, or I wouldn't be on this. And I had to learn, and I had the Holy Spirit speak to me and tell me, who do you think you are if God can forgive you? Who do you think you are greater than God that you can't even forgive yourself? And I went, you know, that's one of those Holy Ghost bricks in the face, like pow. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, it's a form of pride. It's a form of pride when you can't forgive yourself that God has forgiven you. So somebody needs that this morning, either listening or here in this room. But when you draw near to God, he is so quick to draw near to you. He loves us incredibly. And we have the choice to let that relationship with God be characterized as either a meaningful walk with the Lord in relationship rather than just a brief run-through or hurried run. So we need to take time to know the Lord through a relationship, through prayer, through his word, through worship. And the thing about Enoch, it says, Enoch so pleased God that he left a legacy to his children and his grandchildren that they knew that he knew the Lord. And so it says in Hebrews eleven five that he left a legacy that he pleased God. Second one I want to share with you this morning, and way to find the favor of God is be God's friend like Abraham became God's friend. See, we think these people, these are, man, Abraham, I can't be like Abraham. He's, Abraham was a human being just like you and I sitting here. We make them superheroes. Well, he became that. But there was a day Abraham was not Jewish. There was no Israel. There was no nation. Abraham was a pagan, heathen person coming out of a heathen, pagan culture. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, spoke to Abraham and said, leave your family, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house, and come to a land that I will show you. God did that in the old covenant. God still does it in the new covenant. Before I was, I don't know about you, but before I was ever saved, I did not know what or who the Holy Spirit was. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I believed he died for us. I would watch those shows during Resurrection time, Easter time, and watch other shows about the Lord and Him being crucified. And I would sit there, and I'd cry. I'd weep as a a young person. I'd turn away from my family because I didn't want them to see me. I didn't even understand why I was crying. I was so touched by what Jesus did because I knew He was love, and that's all I knew. He was a historical figure to me, but I never knew that you could know Him. Nobody ever told me that. And religion didn't tell me that. And where I went to church, they didn't ever tell me that. You're either a saint or an ain't. God either picked you, you were one of his, or you weren't. And that's what they believed in predestination. And I had an experience with the Lord where the Lord told me one time, spoke to me. It wasn't audibly. It wasn't with his ears. But it was within. Now, that's amazing because I was a little pagan, heathen sinner. But I could hear him speak to me. And this has been 48 years this month, February 21, 1971. He spoke to me, and I'll never re- forget the words because I can still remember them. He spoke to me and said, if you would only give your heart to me and surrender to me, I'll give you the peace, the joy, the answers that you're looking for in life. I've never have forgotten that. It did something in me. It, it set me on a journey to make me realize there's something more that I must discover. And it actually, it sustained me as a young person because I was at the wit's end and I couldn't figure out what what life was about and why I was even here. That's the kind of voice that Abraham had speak to him. Come out from your country. Come out from your people. Leave your father's house to a land that I will show you. Leave that country. You know, Abraham probably was comfortable in that country. You may be comfortable today where you are. But God may be speaking to you, and you may be fighting him. If you want God's favor on your life, you have to become, we have to all become like Abraham and trust the Lord. Abraham didn't even really know God. He, be, he, get, he came to know God as he walked with him. And that's the walk that you and I have. I, I didn't know the Lord. You know, I didn't know the Lord very well even after I became a Christian. I thank the Lord he put me with Sylvia, who'd been a Christian all her life from childhood. And between that and Bible school, you know, yes, I learned, I learned what the Scriptures said about the Lord. But you know, through experiences in your life, you understand and you learn about the Lord. That's a difference. You can learn knowledge about what it says in Hezekiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Psalms. You can learn what it says about the Lord. But listen, it's those hard, tough, rough places in life where you don't think you're going to survive and make it through. You learn about God's love for you. You learn about God's power for you. You learn about God's enablement to carry you through when you can't even do it yourself. I thank God for those times. You know, I didn't like them, and you don't either. I didn't like it when I was in it. It was painful, it was uncomfortable. It was, you know, like God, get me through this. No, no my prayer was always, Lord, take me out of it. And take me out of it, Lord. Get me out of this. Make it stop, you know? Or make it quit, you know? I want the easy road. And the Lord said, "I'm not going to take you out of it, but I will take you through it." And I've learned God's not interested in circum uh, God's not interested in detours. God's interested in going through it and you learning His love for you and His ability to carry you through it because all of that we go through, we don't like it. It doesn't feel good, but it all is for our good in character development. And listen, the whole bottom line is this, trust in the Lord. He lets you go through what you go through so you will learn to trust in the Lord. Because your ability to trust in your ways and your finances and your power and your, your mental abilities and all that, it's not going to do it in this world. It's not enough. And Abraham went through this. Abraham, he didn't know about the Lord, but yet he was willing. It says in Hebrews eleven 8, he went out, not even knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He didn't have a clue where he was going, where he was going to end up, where he was going to live, how he was going to make it. He didn't know. All he heard God say is, leave your family, leave your father and come and follow me. In he, Hebrews 11:6 it says without faith it's impossible to please the Lord. James 2:23 says because of Abraham's faith and I can say I, I believe this. I believe that it's equated faith is equal to trust. Faith is also spelled R I S K for those of you that don't spell risk. Faith is risk. Because God never tells you the whole picture at once because he's smart. If he told you and I the whole picture at once, we'd automatically say, you got the wrong guy, you got the wrong girl, it's not me. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. That's impossible. That's not me. We'd have all, just like Moses, we'd have all kinds of excuses. I can't talk plain. Well, take your brother and tell him what I told you and tell him to tell Pharaoh that. God, you know, God got angry at Moses There's a point God became angry at Moses because angry uh, Moses kept making excuses. So Abraham's faith or his trust is what accounted and put into his account that he became righteous and he, he won the title. He's called a friend of God. Wow. The Lord may be asking you and me to take steps in our life of faith that the numbers don't all make sense to you, the statistics and the comfort feeling may not be there, but do you recognize his voice enough that when he speaks to me, that you will say to him, Lord, I will go and I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll take that step of faith. I will risk and I will step out and I'll do it. And you grow in your faith by in your experiential knowledge of God. You know, it, people can t- you know when you hear a person's testimony, you go, wow, that's awesome. But God wants you to have your own testimony about him. So the Lord lets you and all of us go through things so that we'll have a testimony so that you'll know him. He's interested not in religion. He's interested in a relationship with you. I don't know whether it fits here. I told it later in the first service. They all kind of blend together. But let me, just one, one example of our life. We were in Savannah, Georgia. We worked with a pastor there. He was called to go somewhere else. He had an Israel trip put together together. And uh, he, he needed somebody to stay or be at that local church where he was leaving to finish the sale of those trips and, and, and all of that. So he said, Sylvia, if you can sell so many trips, uh, you can get a free trip. So the little miss businesswoman, go get her Sylvia. She sold enough that we both won a free trip. <laughs> that was wonderful. But here's where we were in our life. It never fails the time in our life when God is dealing with us there's always at least 10 things going on, major things. It's like, God, why can't you pick a calm time, God, to deal with us? Here's what we were experiencing. We work at, had worked at that church for eight years, and we felt in our heart after that pastor left, we worked with the new pastor for a year. We developed the trips. We were headed for the trip to Israel. And uh, we worked with that pastor for a year, but we felt God was calling us out. And if you'll remember the story, this is where it happened. I put my uh, car keys on the altar. I put my church keys on the altar. I put my wallet on the altar. I went to the house and got my checkbook, put it on the altar. And I said, Lord, everything I have and I am is on the altar. And the Lord said, no, it's not. And I said, Lord, what's missing? He said, you're not on the altar. And so I crawled on the altar, and I said, Lord, I said, I give myself to you. And I felt like the Lord was leading us to leave that church. It was her home church, a wonderful place, comfortable family there, friends there. Everything was good there. It wasn't a problem. We didn't have to leave, but felt like God was dealing with us to leave. And so I literally, scary thing to do, I'm not in the political system. And what I did, I sent resumes out, about 15 of them. We were in Savannah, Georgia. I sent them north to northern states. I sent it to southern states. I sent it to more eastern states, northeast, and I sent it to the western states. I sent about 15 resumes out. I got one response from the overseer of Colorado. I said, Colorado, man, that sounds romantic. <laughs> I was really naive. I said, well, yeah, we're, look, we're looking at starting churches, and maybe you guys would, you know, da-da-da, and we were talking that. And we said, well, we're praying, we're fasting, we're seeking the Lord. We got this trip to Israel, and we're gonna, you know, we'll, we'll go do that, and when we get back, we'll talk. He said, fine. So just before we're leaving for Israel, the pastor of the church that we're working with, the new pastor, he said, Russell, you need to come over to the uh, parsonage. I need to talk to you. And I said, yes, Brother Howe, what's up? He said, I'm not supposed to tell you this. He said, but I need to tell you this because I love you and I'm concerned for you. And I'm like, that doesn't sound good. And so he said, "Yes." He said, "I'm aware," and he knew all what, what we were doing. We talked to him. We were leaving in good standing and everything. And uh, he said, "You know, you, they've looked at you for coming to Colorado." He said, "But they've reconsidered that." And I kind of went, "They don't want us?" He said, "Oh yeah, they want you, but it's not Colorado." He said, "It's Utah." I said, "Utah?" I said, "What's well, Utah?" He said they want you in Utah because they have a school there. And Sylvia and I were working in the school in the church. They're at the church in Savannah. She was a second grade teacher and had been for eight years. And I taught Bible seventh grade through twelfth. That was an experience. If I could do that, I told the Lord, I can do anything, Lord, if I can do this. Don't open your mouth to the Lord. I mean, He knows your mind, but just don't say it out loud. And so they're looking at you to go to Utah because you have this experience with a school. I went, Wow. I came home and told Sylvia, she said, Where's Utah? I said, it's out there. So we got a map. We looked. And I said, it's next to Colorado, but it's not Colorado. And uh, Colorado, if you're from there. And so we went to the trip to Israel. We're praying. I don't know about you, if you're in ministry or you're trying to make a life decision in in your life. These have always come to us at times like, God, why can't it be a little calmer? So we're on this trip trying to enjoy Israel, looking over the group that we're responsible for. And trying to pray through, God, what do you want for us? We'd fasted, we'd prayed, we'd sought the Lord. And we say, Lord, you know, what? I'd already done the altar thing. I already committed. Lord, whatever you say is, is what I'm going to do. And so I'm, this is so weird to me, for me. But the Lord talks to me in odd, weird times. Not when I'm kneeling, not when I'm in a prayer, not while I'm fasting. Not when, I'm shaving in the, in the hotel room that morning, one morning. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go to Utah. I about cut my throat, but no. Sylvia's <laughs> so in the other part of the room. I said, Sylvia, I said, you know what I just heard? And, she, you know, we're so one together, linked together. She said, yeah, I know. We're supposed to go to Utah. And I went, yep. And so we packed up literally sight unseen. We didn't call and say, hey, what's it like out there? We didn't drive out there to survey the land. We weren't one of the 12 spies that went before and said, hey, is it it safe? Is it any good? We just, you know, we felt the Lord said, go. So we packed up a 24-foot truck, towed a Honda uh, uh, whatever, Accord, and the dog and Sylvia and I were in the truck and entered into the worst. When we got to uh, uh, Denver, got in the worst snowstorm we'd ever been. You know, it don't snow in Savannah. And here we woke up the next morning. There's at least five inches of snow. The dog looks out there and says, I ain't going out there. I said, oh, yeah, you are. You're not going in here. You're going out there. He didn't like it. And it got worse from then. That's a whole other story. I won't go there. And I'm not saying this. I'm not sharing this to make myself sound pious. We were scared. We got out there, and it was a very difficult experience for two years, three months, one and a half days, 59 minutes. In 33 seconds. (laughs) I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny then. But God dealt with us, do you trust me? I said, Lord, I don't know if I do or not. (laughs) But he developed trust. And it was some of the most difficult. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It's some of the most difficult experiences we've ever gone through. Ministry here is fun and easy. You guys are loving Please stay that way. But we were there, and it wasn't. But it was, God didn't make those people that way, but he used it to help us to trust him. I wouldn't take, I wouldn't want to go through it again. And if I had a worst enemy, I wouldn't wish it on them, and I mean it. But I would not take anything for the experience of learning how God can take you and carry you through when you don't even think you can make it and exist. We were, 30, we were in our 30s. We didn't even want to live anymore. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. The pressure was great. The spiritual atmosphere was horrible. When I say the pressure was great, meaning it was extreme. The spiritual climate was difficult with the cultism that was there. The, the, the lack of love from the folks in the church was pretty tough. We, uh, we didn't know what was wrong until I got the book. I used to listen to Dr. James Dobson on the radio and uh, they had this guy on there, Minarth Meyer Clinic, and the book was How to Beat Burnout. And I'm a, I'm a collector, I'm not a hoarder, I am a collector, gatherer. <laughs> and I collect books and, and stuff like that, curriculum. And I said, man, I'm gonna get that book, it'll help me to help people, understand burnout and help me to help people. I got that book, and Sylvia and Russell's name was on every page of that book. I said, Sylvia, this is what's wrong. This is what we're going through. And we had to learn how to deal with that in the Lord. And uh, so I'm, uh, that's enough of the sharing the detail of that. What I'm trying to tell you is you can trust Him. When He calls you to do something out of your comfort zone, He has a plan. It may not always be easy. It may not always be everything you like at first. I can say this now, but when we came here the first year, it was not easy here. It was not easy. But God made it good like he said he was going to. God can be trusted. The third person I want to talk to you about is strive to live a life of obedience even in difficult times like Joseph. Wow. We all can relate to Joseph Joseph experienced some difficult life experience that probably would sink most people's ship. They'd give up. He was disliked and abandoned and sold by his jealous brothers. He was sold into human slavery. Here he was, a free person. Now he's a slave. Falsely accused when he was doing the right things. You know, Joseph was a good man. He was an honorable man. He was left in the house with Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife, sister, whatever, was, uh, you know, had the hots for him, or probably anybody else, but Joseph was a man of integrity he said, no way, I won't do this against my God or against my master, Potiphar. He ended up in jail for over 13 years as an innocent man. Can you imagine the experience? I mean, we don't have all the everyday details of Joseph's life. But can you imagine Joseph thinking, what did I do to deserve this? And God, where are you now? But here's the good news. It says the Lord was with Joseph. Because of Joseph's obedience, because of Joseph's humility, because of Joseph's made up his mind that he continued to obey and acknowledge the Lord, God was with him and saw that he was promoted you know, you can be promoted into jail. He wasn't in the scummy part of it. <laughs> he was in the good part of it. What attracted the Lord to Joseph? It was that continued obedience and that acknowledgement of God's presence in his life. He was ultimately promoted to second in command of all of Egypt. You know, how does this apply to you and me? Are your life circumstances less than perfect? Probably all of us could raise our hand, yeah. Are they painful? Has Is hope kind of diminished from your life? Is there you feel like there's no future for you? then the way to get God's favor is to do what Joseph did. Thank, praise, and obey God in spite of how you're being treated. Not an easy thing to do, but the right thing to do. Honor God, obey Him, thank Him, keep a humble and faithful and obedient heart to the Lord, and God will honor you with His favor. The number four person, be meek and humble like Moses. Again Isaiah 66:2 are these are the ones the Lord said I look on with favor those with a humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Numbers says Moses was a very humble man, the most humble man upon the face of all the earth. It was this meekness and humility that Moses continued to to keep. Listen. Let's be honest. There's days you could kill your kids. There's days you could send up said listen if you do it one more time I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of this world. You've all threatened them to do something to them, you know. Can you comprehend Moses trying to lead that group of over three million folk that whined and griped and complained about every part of the trip? It's too hot. It's too cold. We want water. We want meat. We're tired of this manna. You know, when are we going to get there? Are we there yet? And then rebelled against Moses and Aaron. You know, you're, you're not the right leadership. You should have. We just should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had leeks and onions and garlics there. garlic there. He was humble. He was, had humility and meekness. And it says about him, God said he met Moses face to face. Now, I know, I know Moses didn't see God's total, complete face. But God communicated to Moses face to face. That's something he hadn't done with anybody else. Has he done it to you lately? He said, Moses, you found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Wow. God dwells with and provides and shows favor towards those that will remain humble, even in difficult circumstances. Then the fifth one, desire to do his will like David. If you and I desire to do God's will like David... You can gain God's favor, win his favor. David wrote songs to the Lord, and had wonderful fellowship with God because of the time David spent tending the Lord or tending his father's sheep when his brothers wouldn't and didn't. And David cultivated that faith and loyalty to God while he was just a teenager. If you're in here or you're hearing this and you're a young person, you can have God's blessing and favor on your life even as a young person by loving the Lord and worshiping him and being obedient to him. <laughs> David became the greatest king that Israel ever had because of his heart to please the Lord. David's like us and that's why we all like David. David was not perfect. David had seasons of sin and when David sinned, David went all out. He had wives, but that wasn't enough. He saw that one he didn't have and said, bring her here. Had relations with her. She got pregnant. He said, "Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Let me bring her husband home, get him drunk, send him home. He'll they'll do the natural thing that a husband and wife will do. For a man on the battlefield hadn't been home for a while. It'll be their kid, you know, nobody'll ever know anything. I'm off the hook. Uriah was such a man of integrity and righteousness, he said, how can I go home and enjoy the pleasures of home when my fellow soldiers are out on the battlefield? And he slept at the king's door. David made several attempts, and Uriah was such a man of integrity, even when he was drunk, wouldn't give in. David said, I am in deep trouble. Arranged to have Uriah put on the front line and killed But after David's seasons of sin, God still gave David the mighty legacy as a man after my heart who will do all my will. I tell you what, there's hope for me. There's hope for you. I'm not going out and planning on sinning, but there's hope for us when we don't totally do the right thing all the time. How can we not fall in love and surrender with all of our heart to a God who knows every detail of our life, our weaknesses, our private weaknesses, our private failings? How can we not fall in love and be in love with a God that loves us like that and includes us still in his plans even when we're not worthy? Wow. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you. I can only thank you for myself, but I thank you, God, that you include us in your plans, Lord. Your mercy and your grace is so good. Amen. The sixth person is Solomon, seek God's wisdom above everything else like Solomon. You know, as a young man, Solomon possibly was very insecure looking at King David, his dad, all the battles, all the great warrior, all the stuff he'd won, all the spoils of war. And Solomon possibly could have been very insecure, but he was humble and dependent upon God for wisdom to rule God's people with understanding and justice. We know about Solomon. We've used him in another message or two. He didn't ask for riches, fame. He didn't ask for the death of his enemies or success. He only asked for a discerning heart to be able to govern God's people and distinguish between right and wrong so he could rule them properly. Solomon's answer to God's million-dollar question of what do you want me to do for you. What if God asked you that question? What do you want me to do for you? I mean, there's no limit to it. We said that last week. What do you want me to do for you? His, Solomon's response was, I just want wisdom and discernment to rule and govern your people. His answer so pleased God that God gave him the wisdom that he asked for, along with more riches and fame than any other person this earth had ever known. I mean, we still talk about him today. We're still talking about him this morning. There's nobody that had stuff like he did. What do you need here more than anything else in your life? Do you need wisdom? Do you need understanding? Do you need God to touch your family? Do you need God to save your children? Do you need, God, do you need to become a better mom, dad, husband, wife, student? Do you need respect from others? What, what do you need? When God sees your heart's desire is the same as his desire for your life, he will be pleased to grant it to you. Can I say that again? When God sees that your heart's desire is the same as his desire for your life, why he created you, why he let you breathe, why he let you exist on earth. When he sees that your desire is the same as his desire for your life, he will be pleased to grant your desires. That's what Psalm 37, 4 says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he becomes your delight. His will becomes your will. I don't want, Lord, something that's not your will for me. I'm glad God hadn't answered some of the prayers I prayed because I see now if he had of, it would have been wrong. I'm glad God didn't answer the prayer for I wanted to marry so-and-so and and thought I wanted to marry so-and-so, and God didn't answer it, and God said, No, there's somebody better for you. Her name is Sylvia K. Odom. I'm glad he didn't answer that prayer. It was a stupid wrong prayer. We think we know. He really does. There's a whole lot of, I have a whole lot of prayers like that. You probably do too. You better be glad God didn't answer some of your crazy prayers, your desires that you had. It was not right for you. It was not his plan for you. And God waits and he lets us learn. And God doesn't answer because we seek deeper. When God doesn't answer, the right response to God when he doesn't answer is not give up and quit and say, oh, foolie, this thing with God don't work. The right response is to seek God deeper. That's what he's trying to do is draw you into a deeper relationship with him. And in that drawing of that deeper relationship with you, he cleans out and he burns out. And you start realizing that wasn't right. Right, That wasn't right. And you start getting revelation. That's not the right thing either. And you start going after what God really wants. And God says, now you're on the right track. Now I can lead you. Now I can guide you. Now I can bless you because you're, you're seeking what I have created you to breathe and take up space on planet earth for. And God begins to bless you. Do you realize most Christians do not know what their spiritual gifts are, and they wander aimlessly through life. They're punching a time clock. They, they, make a, they get a payroll check. They put it in the bank. They pay bills, and that's all there is to life for you. That's not what God has for you. God wants you to know his will, to live in his will, and to be fruitful and productive in his will, and then you are happy. It's not the money that does it. It's his will for your life that makes you happy and fulfilled. Wow. Be surrendered. Number seven, be surrendered like Mary of Nazareth, Luke 1, 28. Gabriel was the announcing angel. Gabriel shows up at Mary's house. She's a young woman, still living with mom and dad, and says, Hail, highly favored one. Rejoice, highly favored one. Scared her to, scared her. Said, The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among young women. Then made the announcement. You're going to bear the child. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Well, she knew what the Ruach was, but what? I don't know a man. You ain't going to need one. Don't get excited, ladies. You ain't going to need one for that case. You're not going to need one. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and birth in you and bring life in you. Well, he's back there in Genesis, breathing, hovering, hoover, hovering over the water, creating, of the earth, creating. But that good news, it meant public scandal for Mary. (laughs) The possibility that Mary would be an outcast killed as a fornicator. That's what could have happened to her. Can you imagine her going home and saying, Mom, Dad, I have an experience today, and I don't know if you're going to understand this, but uh, you know that big angel, God, God, I think he said his name was Gabe, Gabriel or something like that. He told me that I'm going to get pregnant. You and Joseph are engaged. You better not be messing around with him, Mary. Mom, Dad, I hadn't done nothing. We told you better. We taught you better. You better not do that, girl. You better not mess up. No, he said, said, I'm going to be pregnant. Can you imagine having to tell Joseph? It says Joseph sought to put her away privately. Joseph sought, Mary, I love you, but you betrayed me. They were as good as, they were betrothed, they were as good as married. It took it would have taken a divorce proceeding for them to broken off that engagement. And Joseph's in here thinking, she's betrayed me, she's been unfaithful to me, I'm hurt, I'm rejected, you know, I'm all that. It took, a, it took an angel to show come up to him and say, hey, Joe, back off. What's conceived in her is of God, it's okay. It meant all that. But despite all of that legitimate concern she had, she showed... What was her reaction? No! Get away in the name of Jesus, Yeshua. Didn't even know him then. Anyway. Despite all the legitimate concerns, she showed Mary showed no reservation. What she showed was a humble surrendered response. Here's what she said. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. In other words, I'm yours, Lord, for whatever you have in mind. A few years ago, I discovered the Hebrew word "hanani. Anybody know what hanani means? I know. hanani means, we see it in the Old Testament characters, when God dealt with them. Samuel, you know, the prophet uh, Eli said, hey, son, if you hear the voice again, go back to bed. If you hear the voice again, say, Lord, here I am. That's hanani Lord, here I am. But it doesn't just mean, you know, God's not interested in your geography. He knows where you are. It's not, Lord, here I am, you know, you f- put, your, put your focus on me. It's, Lord, here I am, I'm ready to do whatever you say. Wow. That's a scary prayer. I prayed that prayer. I ended up in Utah. <laughs> I've prayed that prayer many other times. I've ended up in places I said, what have I done to myself? <laughs> and I, I prayed that prayer, and the Lord said, you prayed this. And I went, what? He said, oh, yeah, you prayed this. When you prayed Philippians chapter 2, you wanted to be like Jesus. So said, how do I get out of it? And the Lord said, I'm not retracting it. You prayed it. The Lord said, we're not going around it. We're going through it. You're going to learn to trust me. You're going to learn that my will is good for you. You're going to learn that I'm the God that can make you victorious no matter what situation you're in, no matter what predicament you get in, no matter how bad it is, no matter if you felt like you made a mistake. The Lord said, I am the God that can redeem. I'm the God that can take the mistake, and I can make it right again. Thank God for that. You know, when, can you and I say, when the Lord unfolds His path, His will for our life, it looks uncertain, because God doesn't tell you the whole picture. It, It looks undesirable at times. It may be threatening. It may bring you out of your comfort zone. But can you, do you trust the Lord enough? And that's what the Lord wants. Do you trust the Lord enough to surrender his will over your own comforts and your own plans? God's looking for a people like that. It's going to take a people like that to bring forth this end time move of God that God wants to do. You know, what if God's plan for you meant a loss of your reputation? It did, potentially for Mary. You little harlot. You've been sneaking around in the community. What's his name? All of them thought that. Come on. They didn't have Ann Landers or they didn't have Snoop, Snoops, or they didn't have all these media today. But hey, there were people there. And people are people and people will people you. Mary, now we can't, you wrecked your wedding. We can't have a normal wedding for you. You're pregnant now. You know, that's, that's, you're disgracing us. And live a life that's misunderstood and people aren't going to understand. But if you can develop an obedient, surrendered heart like Mary, you may find yourself favored by the Lord. Humans don't understand. In, in our situation that we went to Utah, Sylvia had a, they, they needed a pastor. Some of her relatives needed a pastor. And they were talking to me on the phone. And I said, well, we, we have to pray about that. We can't just go wherever we want to go. You know, you don't, don't, ministry is not like you just go where you want to go. I mean, let's go to the Bahamas. I mean, if we can pick, you know, let's go somewhere that's nice and weather and no bugs and sunshine all the time and nice turquoise water. I mean, let's just do it. Let's pick Hawaii or something like that. In ministry, that's not, what you're, that's not what you do. You go where the Lord calls you. And so I was trying to explain that. said, yeah, we, we would have to pray about that. You know, we want God's will. And the comment back to me was, yeah, you don't want to make a mistake like you made in going to Utah. And I went, wait a minute. We didn't make a mistake. It hadn't been easy. It hadn't been fun. It hadn't been pleasant. But we know we're right where God wants us. And I want to tell you, and I don't want this to scare you, but I want to be transparent with you. There are times when you say yes to God, you will end up carrying things that you never anticipated you would have to carry your experience. You may end up in situations and relationships, and you're totally innocent, and you're just trying to do God's will, and you're in a mess. But I want to tell you something. You can trust the Father that loves you. That he will strengthen you and in the middle of the mess, he has a plan for that mess to help make you into who he wants you to be like his son. That's God's goal and objective. And if you'll let the Lord work in you, I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm not saying be abused. But if you'll let God work in you, God will develop in you. and He's just looking for you to have an obedient heart, Hanani. Lord, here I am. Do what you want to do with me for your glory. Another one was to love extravagantly like Mary of Bethany. We looked at her last week. She gave a year's worth of perfumed oil and poured it on Jesus' feet. They thought it was waste, especially Judas thought it was waste. She said it was worship. He thought W, waste. She thought W, worship. You know, would you be willing to just be with Jesus than rather to do a bunch of things in your life? Could you risk, like she was, being misunderstood or even judged by others for not joining into busy work and choosing rather to spend more time with God, because God honors the heart and revere,s and revere,s and loves, God honors and those that revere and love His Son, without hesitation, reservations, in regard of the cost. It will cost you. I was sharing with somebody this morning. There was a time in my early life when I was a born-again Christian, brand-new baby in Christ. I had friends in the world. They were the only friends I had. They were friends I went to high school with. They were friends in the band. They were the only friends I had. I didn't know anybody else. I didn't have anybody else. But I became a Christian. They still wanted me to come out and do drugs with them. I tried that a couple of times. I failed. I ended up getting stoned with them. And immediately conviction hit me. I said, you got to take me home. What's wrong with you? I said, I can't do this anymore. Oh, God, God grew marijuana on the earth and he made it, you know, for us to smoke and all those, all those arguments, all those arguments. And I didn't know how to answer them. I said, well, that may be true, but it's not for me and I can't do it. I don't judge you. I was very careful. I said, I don't judge you. I don't condemn you. I said, I can't do this anymore. Take me home. I went home both times. I can't believe I did it twice. I went home both times. I hit my bedroom. My parents weren't Christian. I was the only one in the house that was a believer. I hit my bedroom, closed the door. I hit the floor. I cried like a baby. I said, Jesus, I have betrayed you. I have failed you. I am so sorry. And after the second time I did it, I didn't see it with my eyes, but in my spirit I saw a line being drawn. And the Lord said, which side are you going to be on? I said, Jesus, I choose you. You've done so much for me, I can't go back. I don't want to go back and I can't go back. You've done so much for me. I had to tell those people. I had to tell those friends. Next time I was with them, My best friend's name was Guy. I went to high school with Guy. We were in his parents' apartment. Uh, I said, Guy, I said, I need to say some things to you. I said, you know that I've become a Christian. And uh, I said, you guys are my only friends. And I said, I need to tell you this at the risk of what may happen. I said, I'm serious about following Jesus. I know you don't understand me. You think maybe I'm wacko or I'm on a really high trip and You know, I've lost my mind or whatever. But I said, I can't do the drugs anymore. I can't do the rock and roll anymore. I can't live like that anymore. And I said, and I said it, I said, I don't say this mean, but even if it means losing you guys as friends, I cannot live this way anymore. They never called me again. They never bothered to come with me. Sylvia and I saw a guy at Lenox Square Department Store in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, one Christmas season when we were home visiting my parents, we shook hands, but he was, was like we weren't friends anymore. That was years later. Even at the risk of people not understanding you, choose Jesus. He's the right choice. I love those people. I don't know what happened to them. I, I've lost track with them. I used to try to find them when I went to Atlanta. to just totally lost track with them. I, I, hope, I pray for them. I hope to God. That, that they found the Lord, that they've come to the Lord. The very couple, Steve and Lana, that led me to the Lord, or, or I was with them tonight at church, they, they, they left the Lord, left the church. The guy I work with, Kim Cowley, worked with him at Rich's Department Store. He helped me, you know, in work. He was actually one of the first Christians, real Christians I ever encountered and encouraged me. He left the Lord, him and his wife, Donna. I don't know what happened to him. I used to pray for him and try to contact to him. But all I know is the Lord said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And my response to him, not because I was religious, religious, not because I was strong, not because I was brokenhearted. I was like shocked. I was like, oh, my God, the people that were most significant in my life. What's happening to them? And the Lord said, what are you going to do? I said, Lord, I've got to serve you. I made up my mind that day, if none of them make it, if my parents don't make it, if none of them make it, I said, God, if nobody else makes it, I've got to serve you. I've got to serve you because of who you are and what you've done for me, Lord. You've got to make up that kind of determination. Can I just, I'm just going to say this. Come hell or high water. You know what I mean when I'm saying that? Come hell or high water. You've got to make that kind of determination. I'm not letting my friends, my need for approval from people. I'm not going to let pressure from my peer group. I'm not going to let what's going on in the world today, I'm not going to let a threat of somebody killing me or endangering my life, I'm not going to let anything stop me. Listen, we have gone too far now to ever turn back. I've gone too far in this thing. Last week was my spiritual birthday, uh, 48 years. I didn't put in too much crying, too much praying, too much warfare, too much battle. I'm not going back. There's nothing to go back to anyway. So make up your mind. And lean in, number nine, lean in close to God like John, the beloved disciple, did. John describes himself as the disciple who loved Jesus. Well, Jesus loved them all. But John described himself, like Moses said, he's the most humble and meek man on the earth. John described himself as the one that Jesus loved the most. But John was especially close to Jesus. He's described as the one that leaned upon Jesus' breast, even during the time of the Last Supper, when, when Jesus said, one of you is going to deny me. John was the only one bold enough, enough courage to ask the question, Lord, is it, who is it that's going to betray you? John was the only one of the 12 that was not martyred for his faith, that actually lived in old age and died in old age. But yet, John wasn't perfect. He's like you and me. He's not perfect. John, in his younger years, was listed, him and James, as the sons of thunder. They're the ones that wanted to call fire down on some people that didn't believe in Jesus in the community. Well, bless God, we'll just call down fire on you and just show you who's God. Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. But yet, John stayed close to Jesus, and John changed and we see that John became the disciple of love when we see it, 1 John, 2nd and 3rd John we see he became the disciple of love. So what's that mean for us? Have you made up your mind to stick close to Jesus when no matter what he says to you that you don't understand. The Lord will say things to your lo- you in your life you don't understand. Are you going to stick to him anyway? And can you stay near the Lord even when all your friends walk away? I just shared with you John stayed at the foot of the cross when, with the women closest to Jesus on the night he died when everybody else fled for fear for their very lives. Be the one that stays close to Jesus no matter what because God takes note of it. Who's faithful. Lastly, number 10, to earn, gain, win. Win is better. The favor of God, become like Jesus. Say, ah, We can't become like Jesus. Yes, you can. Jesus said, walk even as I walk. Walk even as I walk. God clearly showed His favor to His Son, Jesus. We know that. God gives us eternal life when we embrace His Son, Jesus, Yeshua. 1 John 5, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you don't have Christ in your heart today, you don't have life. You may be eating, breathing, walking through the motions, but you're not really alive yet. You need Him. God promises and Jesus promises to give us whatever we ask for on his behalf. John 16, 23. In that day, you'll ask me nothing, but assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you because he loves us. If you want to have favor with God, then be fully committed to his beloved son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Worship and honor him. Identify with his pain. You'll have to bear a cross. Not the literal cross. You'll have to bear some crosses in your life. Rejection from people. Misunderstanding. I've already talked about that. But And then thirdly, gain a heart like his heart for the world. Not to love the ways of the world, but to love the people in the world. Sinners can't help but sin. Do you remember how you were? You were bound. You were blind. People would talk to you and try to witness to you. And you just didn't see it, didn't want it, pass it off. That's not me. I'm okay. I'll be okay. Don't you remember how you were? And we're, we're to have the heart for people in the world like God has a heart, like Jesus had a heart for people in the world. And then display the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ through our life. And thank God we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us through us. You can't do it in yourself. It's impossible. I, I've learned uh, people say, oh, the Christian life has nothing to it. <laughs> Try when your friends come around you dangling stuff in your face. Try when the devil, the tempter, comes to you suggesting you do something that you've always done, that's your pet sin, and saying no to it. The battle that goes on in your head, in your body, in your spirit. But Jesus prays that we would have the same unity with the Father that he had in John 17. And that Jesus said to love the Lord with all our hearts, mind, and our soul. And our strength, Pastor Larry. If you'd come, stand with me, please, this morning. Thank you for being here today. And this crazy weather we've got. And remember the awaken this week. Remember Bible study this Wednesday. Uh, we're Pastor Rush teaches an awesome adult class. They're studying uh, the epi- appalling epistles, First Corinthians. First Corinthians therein. in. We're still studying the authority to heal. Uh, a new Pentecost. How many of you? We need a new Pentecost. We need a new Pentecost. And that's what we'll be teaching on this uh, Wednesday about what God wants to do. And I believe our experience with Awaken this week, I believe that we're going to taste of a new Pentecost and even beyond that. So we invite and encourage you to come back. I want to ask our prayer teams to come this morning. If God is the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, and you say, I want God's favor. I know I have his love. He loves me, and he does. He's crazy about you. He's never going to not love you, but you want his favor. You want to be like one or all of these ten that we see in the Bible. There's more, but these are just ten real simple ones. Say, Lord, I want your favor. God, I want your attention on my life that you can bless me, that, Lord, I can be a light. I love what Daniel says in his prayers. He prays about the situation. He said, God, so that they will know there's a God in heaven that hears and answers prayer. There's a God that responds to his people. This world needs to know there is a God in heaven. They deny him. They don't think he's real. The only way they're going to know he's real is through you. You are the living epistles read by all men, the scriptures tell us. They're looking at you. They're watching your life you're a carrier of his presence thank you jesus pastor Larry's going to lead us in an old song still got some good in it i have decided to follow jesus i have decided